I've been told to promise no more bunny chasing. <laughs> With puppy or not puppy. There is a poem by Robert Frost that doesn't get misquoted so much as it gets badly quoted. Uh, it's a poem called Mending Walls. And in there, Robert Frost says, Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The poem usually gets quoted by someone grabbing another part of the poem that says, good walls make good neighbors, by kind of a cranky neighbor that Robert Frost is commenting on. But that's the opposite of what Robert Frost was saying. Precisely. He's questioning that, right? We find uh, on our hikes in Vermont and now our hikes in Massachusetts throughout New England, you can find around fields or former fields, the walls that had an ending of one farm and the beginning of another, or around an ancient cemetery, they break down over time. They don't have a dependable cornerstone. Though the remnants are still there, and with age and moss and lichen, they become their own kind of beautiful. But it's true, there's something in nature that doesn't love a wall. So, yeah, maybe there's something in nature that doesn't love a wall. I'm guessing gravity is a big piece of it, right? Um, But, boy, there is something about humans that love a wall. I remember when we first moved to Vermont, when we we had come out of seminary at at Boston University School of Theology, um, and it was our first Vermont church experience, and mm-hmm. someone that very first day lost no time to, in saying to me, you know, you may live here a long time, but you'll never be a Vermonter. You have to be born here to be a Vermonter. I was a little taken aback. Um, that, that, that didn't strike me as the most welcoming thing to say, right? And I said, well, well, what about my kids? We didn't have children then. If my kids are born here, and they said, in a Vermont accent, I'll let you do it. Just because a cat has kittens in the oven, it don't make them biscuits. So it's not a literal wall around Vermont, but goodness, it is a wall. And and Vermont sort of takes it on as a a kind of pride. We're, We're Vermonters or not. Just a year and a half ago, I interviewed for an interim pastor position, and the first question they asked me was, are you a Vermonter? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not. Most of the people in that church weren't Vermonters either, but that was important. And it's there to maintain a certain position for the folks who consider themselves Vermonters, and it's there to put all the rest of us in our place. So it's not a physical wall, but boy, it's a boundary. Now, that said, most Vermont 
people that we met that go back nine generations don't feel they have to prove anything, and they're welcoming and wonderful. But, That's uh, true. I think it's one, people who only go back about two generations that are a little bit more defensive about it. That's probably true. Um, and I have to tell you that my immediate response when someone said to me, you'll never be a Vermonter, was to say, after I asked about the kids, I said... Well, to tell you the truth, I'm a Midwesterner, and I'm happy to be a Midwesterner, so I don't really want to be a Vermonter. Which, Wrong answer. <laughs> they looked a little startled, and it was such an automatic reaction in me that if you were going to tell me I was going to be out, then I was going to tell you that I didn't want to be in anyway, right? And that's what walls do. They either break us down by not letting us in, or my response to that was to build a bigger wall. Well, yeah, you're not a Midwesterner, right? So walls don't bring out the best of us. They, they multiply. We see this in our reading that Andrew shared today from the author of the letter to the Ephesians. Now, if Ephesian was written, as most scholars think, very late in the first century... We know that there was certainly a very sturdy religious wall between Jewish folk and Gentile folk. And it was an argument over who had access to God or to the gods for the pagans. Both sides would accuse the other in Greek of being atheos, without God. And being called atheos was akin in those days to be called a sociopath. If you were atheos, you were uncivilized, you were a threat to society. Jews would accuse Gentiles of not acknowledging the one God of the universe. And Romans would accuse Jews of being bad citizens for rejecting the state polytheistic religion and worshiping Caesar as a son of God. Well, and also not worshiping all the rest of the Roman gods. This Jewish one God thing didn't make sense to them. So here you had at Ephesus and at all the infant Christian churches this unique, radical experience in human community where people were gathering from different classes, different genders, different cultures, different religious backgrounds that would not and could not connect in any other culture in Greco-Roman society or in Jewish society. We know that Paul himself, writing a generation earlier to the church in Galatia, one of the earliest churches that were that grand, amazing experience, He proclaimed prophetically that among you, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female, for all are one in Jesus Christ. And we hear that now and we think, well, yeah, of course. But in that day, it was radical. And not just Roman culture was stratified like that. Jewish culture, too, said there are differences between male and female. Who gets taught the Torah and who does not? There are differences between slave and free. There are differences between Jew and Greek. Who's really the chosen people of God? Those differences were what it was built upon. And you can tell how deep it was in that culture because 
Only a generation after Paul wrote those words to the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus and other churches too were starting to have to deal with those old walls of division creeping back into the church and creeping in between churches so that churches were saying, we're the church of Paul or I'm the church of Apollos. They were putting walls up again between them. We're on the inside, you're on the outside. For the Gentiles, for the former pagans, the attraction of that wall building again was that they would be seen as less threatening to their pagan neighbors, Hmm. being less radical. So they started becoming a more patriarchal community. And you can see that in some of the writings in Ephesians that to this day make us a little crazy. And for the Jewish folk are feeling now, even though they were once insiders in that community, are now starting to feel outsiders, just as the former pagans used to feel like outsiders and are now feeling more like insiders. And so they had to be reminded again. Jesus came to eliminate that. And the writer of Ephesians, who we call Paul but probably wasn't Paul, was reminding folks what the real Paul had said a generation before. The traditional translations uh, of this part of Ephesians reads, Christ is our peace. He has broken down the dividing walls, the hostility between us, has in fact put to death the hostility between the groups, proclaiming peace, shalom, to those who are far off and those who are near. For the author of Ephesians, people may be in the business of building walls, but God is in the business of building a temple. With Jesus as the cornerstone, as Alyssa showed so beautifully, and using everyone, all of us, as the stone. So before we go any farther, I want to back up a minute and give us a little bit of a caveat. Because walls are not all bad. Walls that keep other people out, walls that dehumanize other people, walls that tell them they're not good enough or they don't have access to God, those walls absolutely are not the the kind of walls that Paul was talking about. Walls that keep your new dog in the yard? (laughs) Excellent. If we could just get the bunnies. No, that's, that's a whole and, other story. And, and toddler. <laughs> toddler walls. Excellent. We like that's those. right. Um, but there is a place and needs to be a place for boundaries, for low walls. We talked about the walls that you come upon in, all around New England when you're walking around in the woods that used to be on the edge of a field. They're not tall walls. And they weren't built really high and, and they've just fallen down to small. They were low. And they were low because they were there to mark where the edges of the field were, probably to keep the cows from getting out because cows don't like to step on uneven stone. Um, But you can get over them. They were there to say, this is the edges of my place. But they weren't necessarily there to keep anyone else out. And that's the kind of boundaries I'm talking about. It's important for us to know where we end and other people begin, emotionally, spiritually. It's important for us to know who and whose we are 
and also who and whose we're not, those personal boundaries are part of how we engage each other in the world. This is me and that is you. And it's not that there can't be communication between us, but there needs to be some, some amount of healthy understanding of that. It's true in our faith as well. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking one of my delights being a dad was watching both our children when they're itty, 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 bitty infants. Uh, there, there was no boundary between, between them and you. You were yeah. well, not from their perspective. Not from their perspective, precisely. <laughs> right. and, and 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 watching them eventually grow to see that that where where my skin ends, uh, there's now a different universe and a different person who might say no, right, and be different and have different opinions, and then you get the terrible twos, right, which is where they're like, no, my walls should be everywhere. That's but that's right. another story. So, with apologies to Robert Frost, I would say. I I would agree with him that good walls make good neighbors is probably not a great way to live in the world. I would also say that good boundaries make for good community. So I just, I want to make sure we say that before we go on to talk about walls. And it's, it's really how those boundaries are drawn that are the connection. Absolutely. Now, there's a... A Christian sociologist named Paul Hebert, it might be Hybert, but I think it's Hebert, who talked about the difference in, or different ways of doing community. And he said there are two kinds of community. There are bounded communities, we might say walled communities, and there are centered communities. Here's the difference. A bounded community creates walls of acceptable behavior, thought, appearance, and it defines who the community is, who the insiders are, and who the outsiders are. In fact, they usually define an insider by not being an outsider. By not being an outsider. Right. A bounded community spends its energy on policing norms within the community and keeping others out of the community. There might be a literal wall or a figurative wall. Now, he says the alternative to that is something he called the uh, centered community or culture, where instead of boundaries on the outside to keep people out, it has instead something compelling at the center which pulls people in. A centered community is not defined by its boundaries, but by its center. So there are no gatekeepers, just people who are slowly being pulled ever closer toward the center. There isn't any being outsiders or insiders outside the boundary of the community or within. There's just being closer or farther from the center. Hebert gives a a Texas-style example of this. So he talks about a rancher in Texas who had an enormous ranch that had a fence around it to keep the cows, to keep the cattle in. But fences, as you know, and as Robert Frost said, fences break too, not just walls. And 
the rancher began to realize that he was spending all of his time mending fences, not, not spending time being a rancher. And so instead of trying to go to police the perimeter of his ranch and fix every time the fence broke, instead he dug wells inside the fenced area, knowing that the cattle would congregate around the wells. They didn't want to wander too far from their source of water, and so he didn't have to worry about the edges because they were pulled together. That's what we mean by a centered community. And the really cool thing about a centered community is that as, as the, the people, we'll say people instead of cows, as the people get closer to the center of the community, they also get closer to each other. We're going to give you a demonstration this morning. So Alyssa, I'm going to ask if you'd come up for a minute. And Andrew and Terry. We'll make Barb the center of our community. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, we'll do better. We'll make... We heard that Jesus is our, our cornerstone. cornerstone. <laughs> so uh, you all just have to bear with us here. We're going to put Jesus in the middle and us sort of equidistant from the middle as much as we can. And so now if we each take a step toward Jesus... We get closer to each other. And so when you're, when you're working with a centered community, you build your connection by how close you are to the center as well as, as directly. Okay, thank you guys. I promised that wouldn't be painful. But what is wonderful about a centered community is that everyone who was in this circle didn't have to think the same, look the same, act the same, or be policed to make sure norms are being followed. There was simply an attraction to Christ, the cornerstone, our center, our gravitational center. And we see this as we've gotten to know you at Harvard Epworth, as we've been having the meetings in our congregate, at, our, at the parsonage. And folks talk about, I went to Puerto Rico on a mission trip with you, right? And that's where we got to be friends. And the folks got to be friends by focusing together on the mission that they were doing. That kind of centered community is what church is about. Now, knowing a little bit of the history of many of the folks that we've met so far at Harvard Epworth, uh, this place is uh, a safe uh, refuge for folk who, like me, have come out of communities of faith that were decidedly bounded communities. Hmm. And we might have dressed a certain way one time that was one too often, or you asked a question that you were told you can't ask questions like that, or you started believing things that went outside the boundary walls. Many, if not perhaps most communities of faith, are bounded. But the church... Hebert says, and I would claim, is meant to be a centered community, not a bounded one. In Christ, Paul said, there is no us or them or in or out thinking in God's kingdom. Nobody is kept out because of their beliefs or behaviors or if their outlooks are not perfect according to some rule keeper or police 
in the community. Everyone can be loved and belong no matter what stage of development or brokenness or redemption they are in. The closer you travel toward the cornerstone who is Christ, the closer you come to one another. Which is why I think the writer from Ephesians says, I I hear such enthusiasm in the words. Christ tore down the wall that we used to use to keep each other at a distance, he says. Through Christ, we share the same spirit and we have equal access to God. You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. Mm. And maybe it's because we've recently moved But when I hear that line, the kingdom of faith is now your home country, that awakens a deep longing in me. And I think, yeah, that's what I want, a home country. For both of us, uh, Barb growing up in the itineracy, my growing up in the Navy, uh, a home country is, (laughs) we can't name a geography. When folks know, where are you from? Like, Pick a continent. Um, And even in the itineracy, where you're from, even spiritually, can sometimes feel a little vague. But, oh, Ephesians saying, the kingdom of faith is now your home country, gives a deep feeling of rootedness, even when you're moving around. And the kingdom of faith is not just our own home country. Once again, it's really easy to say, ah, here's mine. Put a wall around my home country, and suddenly I'm doing the same thing. We all get to be a part of God's building a home for everyone. You and me and everyone else, all of God's children. God is using every single one of us who are centered in Christ, centered in God's love, to create, as Paul wrote, or the author of Ephesians wrote, a holy temple where all are at peace, where all are reconciled to one another and to God. Our sense is that that awareness of centered community is alive and well in this place. And we're pleased to be becoming a part of it. And as we move out of the pandemic and to other ways for us to be together with each other and for us to be present in the community, That sense of being drawn to the cornerstone, of being faithful together, of loving and serving and laughing together, focusing on Jesus' call to be who we are as individuals and who we are as a faith community, that's what we're going to be about. It's especially important as we're moving out of pandemic, it might be easy to start thinking geographically about our home country again, that this place. But as we speak to the majority of the worshipers here today are not here today. Hybrid worship, other grand experiments in how to be human community and divine community are something we're going to have to be open to and and experiment with and, and... fall down and break shoulders. Uh, maybe not the breaking maybe shoulders not the part. breaking shoulders. But there is, uh, we have to discover new ways of being community that, don't, that perhaps don't require us to all be in the same room once a week. 
What it will require is grace and persistence. And if we can keep Jesus at the center, whether we're together physically, whether we're together digitally, always when we're together in prayer, we will be the community that God longs for this place, these people to be. May that be so for all of us. Amen. Amen. And we invite you to join in our next hymn, which is Just a Closer Walk with Thee. It's on 2158 in The Faith We Sing. <laughs>